Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, January 11th. Do you have a gas stove in your house? New concerns are being raised regarding health risks, in particular, increased incidence of asthma associated with the use of gas ranges. We speak with Trevor Vandenboer, professor of chemistry at York University, for what you need to know about the health risks of cooking with gas. According to the Canadian Diabetes Association, close to 12 million Canadians are living with diabetes or pre-diabetes, and that number just keeps on growing. We discuss the state of diabetes in Canada and get some tips on how you can recognize someone experiencing hypoglycemia when we chat with Dr. Peter Sr., board chair for Diabetes Canada. And finally, you know him from Island of Brian, Brian Incorporated, Leave It to Brian, and Renovation Resort. He's the busiest guy in home reno. We catch up with HGTV's Brian Baumler to hear about his latest project. Gas stoves now linked with childhood asthma and other health-related issues in the U.S. is considering banning them altogether. Should Canada also consider banning gas ranges from homes? Joining us to talk about it is Trevor Vandenboer, Assistant Professor in the Department of Chemistry at York University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Sue Andy. Thanks for having me. Can you explain you know, some of the, the latest findings and, and this link? What are the health concerns that we're now hearing about that we know directly stem from gas ranges in our households? Right. So uh, Health Canada has actually been a leader on this type of research uh, for decades. And we know that uh, use of gas appliances that release nitrogen oxides indoors is associated with uh, respiratory issues and aggravating those. Now, Professor, when you say leaking, is this through regular use or is this if there's an issue with the appliance itself? So uh, in the past, uh, Albertans have contributed to the current knowledge on this, uh, that the continued and constant use of gas appliances indoors uh, is associated with a higher risk for aggravating uh, respiratory issues uh, as well as links to asthma. Okay, so can you talk about some of the actual chemicals that are being released into our homes when people are using a gas stove? Because I think this, this kind of came out of left field for, I would suspect, most of us, that there are things actually that could be harming us when we use this appliance. Right, and I think, I think it was surprising to myself as well. I'm part of uh, some of the research that uh, has been done more recently where we get these high-speed uh, measurements uh, where you, know, you turn on your instrument and the, the levels go way, way up. And so some of the pollutants that come from this are things that you would expect uh, when, we, when we burn any uh, fuel that's, that's based off of uh, gas uh, or fossil fuels. And it's carbon dioxide, water, uh, some particles, and nitrogen oxides. And at lower levels, uh, carbon monoxide. Are there any ways, to your knowledge, to use these uh, appliances safely? Are, like, is there a retrofit you could put on them to make them safe? Or is this just the, the product it will be the product regardless? Right. So I think, um, you know, when we, when we think about using gas appliances in the home, you know, I have these in my house, uh, you know, a furnace or uh, a fireplace or a hot water heater, they all have uh, their exhaust vented directly outdoors. And that's because we know when we burn uh, fossil fuels, gas to, to heat our homes or, or heat our, our water, um, you know, we're using that a lot and it would generate a lot of pollution if we vented it indoors. So, so they vent directly outdoors. For stoves, uh, the way that we, we can ventilate those emissions outdoors uh, is to have a good range hood over top of our stove. And, you know, an effective range hood is one that doesn't just recirculate the air back into the room, but, but ventilates it outside. So that's one of the most effective ways that you can get uh, emissions from your gas stove outside um, directly uh, without having to do a major retrofit. 
would you say then though okay so if the gas stove is being vented to the outside are we okay or is there a hazard from any gas appliance within the house whether it's being vented outside or not Right. I think that's a great question. I think um, the answer to that depends on people's individual levels of risk that they, they are willing to tolerate. And um, any gas stove will emit these pollutants, uh, just like our tailpipes uh, from our vehicles will we'll emit those pollutants outdoors, where, where we have a lot of knowledge on the hazards of these pollutants. So indoors, um, you know, the, the extent to which you, you're willing to tolerate uh, pollutants, uh, like, like nitrogen oxides, um, in your space is a personal choice. And uh, if it's an op- an option for you, many people don't have the choice to change their, their appliances indoors. Uh, but if you have that choice, uh, if you could remove a gas stove to because you want to limit that risk, uh, you could get rid of the pollutants uh, much more directly uh, instead of just ventilating. We're very much talking about the health aspect of these gas stoves, Professor, but how about the climate change pollution? Can the gas stoves being in our homes contribute to climate change? Uh, this study was the study that, that you might be referring to uh, was done uh, a couple of months ago and, and released. Uh, if you have incomplete combustion of natural gas, uh, it does con- contain greenhouse gases um, in and of itself, methane, uh, that are then ventilated outdoors. So if your your stove isn't vent, uh, combusting your your gas uh, appropriately, then then you're going to be releasing greenhouse gases uh, outside of just CO2. So, you know, just like your vehicle, you don't want to have inefficient combustion in, in, your, in your car. So you get it tuned up to make sure that you're, you're not wasting your money on your fuel. Uh, and likewise, with all of our gas appliances, um, you know, my, my gas appliances like my furnace or my hot water heater are inspected regularly to make sure that they're, they're being really efficient with the money that I spend on my fossil fuels to be able to provide that heat in my home. And, you know, you could, you could have the same uh, thoughts in mind when, when we're thinking about this. Uh, for greenhouse gases coming from gas appliances like your stove. Okay, so Professor, we know about a third of U.S. households have gas stoves in their kitchens. The U.S. is thinking about a ban of gas stoves altogether. Is that something we need to look at for Canada? Do you think it makes sense here as well? Right, and I think the the heart of this conversation is, is about protecting people who don't have uh, choices when it comes to uh, what they're exposed to in their day-to-day life. Um, so when we, we think about um, who might be affected by that and impacted by that, um, that's, that's what we're talking about when we we're thinking about uh, reducing the presence of these uh, devices in an indoor space. Uh, it's for people who don't get a choice about uh, a gas stove being in their apartment, for example, if you're renting. And so um, for those of us who do have a choice, uh, that comes down to our individual risk assessment um, and, and how we want uh, to view uh, what's a tolerated risk in, in our indoor environments. So I think um, we're, we're all consumers and deciding uh, what we want in our space depends on our own risk evaluation. Uh, but we, we should be focused in this type of discussion uh, for the health issues that might come about in people who don't get a choice about being exposed um, to pollutants that might come from something like a gas stove indoors. Professor, just before we let you go, uh, as Sue mentioned, uh, fairly prevalent, the gas stoves in the U.S. Do we have any numbers or indication of how many Canadian households use gas stoves? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know the, the, the number of uh, gas stoves that are in Canadian homes, but we, we all know that there's uh, a lot of interest in, in cooking with gas. Uh, people have a lot of uh, differing opinions. I mean, I, I, I love cooking. I think everybody uh, has, has some very direct connection with their food um and and if you like cooking with gas um 
you're going to have that in your home. So I, I don't know how many people have it, uh, but, you know, it, it's out there and uh, it's, it's been pretty attractive for a long time. So it, it's something certainly that we need to think about carefully uh, with all this new information that we're getting. Yeah, you're not kidding. Knowledge is power for sure. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for breaking it down. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me soon, Andy. Thank you. Trevor Vandenboer, Assistant Professor, Department of Chemistry at York University. Do you know how to help and identify someone who might be experiencing hypoglycemia? With 11.7 million Canadians living with diabetes or pre-diabetes, we need to better understand how this disease impacts people's daily lives. Well, joining us to talk about it is Dr. Peter Sr., Board Chair for Diabetes Canada, Director of the Alberta Diabetes Institute and a Professor of Medicine at the University of Alberta. Good morning to you, sir. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Appreciate the time. Um, you know, it seems, is there a rise in the number of people suffering from diabetes or pre-diabetes in Canada right now? Because it seems so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's true in Canada and it's true around the world. Uh, but the number of people with diabetes is increasing. And, and probably by about, well, it's hard to say, but I think the estimates will be that, um, you know, the rates will increase by maybe 25% in the next 10 years. Let's talk about the signs, because obviously we know that, you know, some people have it at a very, very early age, but some people develop it. What are the, some of the signs we can look for for developing diabetes? So I think um, people with diabetes, um, it can be that there are no signs and no symptoms at all in the early stages. And, and that's why it's important that people see a family doctor or another uh, nurse practitioner to be checked, uh, particularly over the age of 40. But some of the important symptoms are people feeling thirsty, getting up to pee overnight, uh, maybe blurred vision, maybe recurrent infections. And certainly in, in perhaps people, younger people, children developing what we call type 1 diabetes, uh, those symptoms along with unexplained or unintentional weight loss, they're very important signs and symptoms. What is the difference then between someone who's experiencing, you know, the, the symptoms of diabetes or hypoglycemia? Is that, can yeah. you only have hypoglycemia if you're diabetic? So in general diabetes, the problems are because blood sugars are too high and we call that hyper, H-Y-P-E-R, hyperglycemia. But when we're treating diabetes, we're trying to bring the blood sugars back to normal. And so people who are taking insulin, you know, by injection. Some people taking some kinds of tablets for diabetes uh, called soft nylureas. They might be called dimicron. They might be called gliburide. People taking those treatments, if the treatment is more than they need in that moment, then the blood sugar can go the opposite direction. It can go too low. And when our body doesn't have enough uh, blood sugar, then, you know, essentially our brain stops working properly and people can get quite sick quite quickly. How can we react and help someone experiencing hypoglycemia? What, what should we do if we're an onlooker? Yeah, I think it, it will be difficult as, as somebody who's not a, a medical professional, it will be difficult to know exactly what's wrong if you don't know that somebody has diabetes. But if you've got a, a friend, if you've got a colleague, you've got a co-worker, uh, you know what? It's good if people are able to talk about their diabetes and say, you know, hey, I've got diabetes, I have to take insulin or I take these tablets. If you notice me having these symptoms or these signs, if I'm feeling, if I'm looking a bit pale or sweaty, I seem to be a bit confused, then uh, the, the key thing is 
to help them get some glucose. So that could be some candies, it could be a glass of orange juice, it could be a glass of regular pop or milk, a cookie, um, granola bar, anything like that. And really the, the key thing for people living with diabetes who take insulin or take these tablets that can cause low blood sugars, we are often saying to them, you know, the key thing is prevention. So stop to check your blood sugar level and always have some carbohydrates, some, some glucose uh, tablets on your person. Uh, but certainly I think it's, it's just accommodating people, uh, making sure that they don't feel embarrassed to talk about this. And uh, I think being aware, but I think if you know that somebody has diabetes and they are sort of slowed down, they're confused, it's almost as if somebody's impaired, like they had drunk too much alcohol, then getting them some something with uh, sweetness, some sugar, some glucose rapidly uh, will fix them very, very quickly. Thank you so much for breaking it down. Appreciate your time this morning, doctor. You are most welcome. Have a great day. You too. Dr. Peter Sr., board chair for Diabetes Canada and a professor of medicine at the University of Alberta. You can go to diabetes.ca for more. Well, with the launch of QR Calgary now on AM and on FM at 107.3, we are calling out all of our big name friends to come on the radio and join us. And today, no exception. So uh, maybe you're planning a home reno in 2023. Maybe you don't know the best place to start or how to get the best bang for your buck. With some expert insight, we are joined this morning by HGTV star Brian Baumler, host of Island of Brian, Brian Inc., Leave It to Brian, Renovation Resort. He's got them all. You see him on HGTV. TV, and he is here with us this morning. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. I feel honored and well, special. This well, we, we think you are special, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, and, oh, yeah. and you're not only special, but you're probably the busiest guy in home renovation in that world right now. And you've teamed up now with uh, Scott McGilvery for Renovation Resort. So tell us, how many projects are you actually working on right now? I don't even know, to be <laughs> honest. It's, it's never ending, but... Uh, I I've, I found a good balance. It's work hard and and play hard. So uh, as long as there's balance, it's it's great. You know, Brian, I, I you know I've had the chance to meet you and interview you a number of times. Something I've never really dug into, and it maybe it just you know is a, a bonus for me because I'm not a stalker by asking <laughs> you this. Um, <laughs> How how did you get your start? And I'm not talking about the Brian Baumler and your family that we see on TV. How did you get your start, and, and how did you end up where you are on HGTV as one of their number one stars? Uh, gosh, I don't know. Years ago, I mean, I, I was you know I was a private school kid, but I was the private school kid with the blue collar dad. And uh, you know, after university, I did business, political science, uh, and and you know, I was headed for for a law degree. And decided to to go back to my roots and get back on the tools and and do what I love doing, um, and I just I, I put all those skills to use and, and started a you know construction company after attending George Brown and and that was it. Five years later, I was watching HGTV and I thought, look at these guys doing a, a bit of free work for the hosts and they get great advertising. So I reached out to a production company and said, hey, I'll come down and do all your all your work for free for three months for the summer in exchange for some advertising. And, that got twisted all around, and here we are almost 20 years later with uh, 
I don't even know how many shows, but I think we're approaching six or seven hundred episodes. So it's, it's wow. been it's been a crazy ride, but it's been a lot of fun. And I, obviously, you know, you're you're accepting of change, right? You, you have to in order to be in the position you're in, and from where you thought you were going to be as a lawyer to now. So I mean, change can be tough for a lot of people, and and we're seeing that with you know radio listeners even. You know, they, you kind of get into into that routine, and and to switch over from, for example, AM to an FM radio station can be a bit tough. But in your yeah. world, change comes at you fast and furious, especially when you were building your resort on the island. How, how do you deal with change? I mean, change, yeah, I, I was lucky. I was one of those kids, you know, our our, our parents worked hard and, and managed to, to travel us and, and see a little bit of the world and experience different cultures and, and realize that you can be on a, on a path. And one of my dad's, you know, big things he always used to tell me is if you want to eat fish for dinner, you have to go fishing. And you've got to fish all day and you, you keep casting until, you know, the big one that you want bites. So, there's nothing wrong with having a direction and deciding to go a completely different direction uh, and do something different that, that really interests you. And, and a lot of people, I think, are stuck in what they think they should do or what others think they should do or they're trying to you know, please the, the masses. And, and you really have to sit down and, and take stock and decide what's going to make me happy. Uh, you know, what job or work can I do that, that is actually a, a hobby and something fun that I'll you know, express myself and put the work into to be successful. And, uh, you know, for me, that was getting back on the tools and, and being an entrepreneur and a businessman at the same time. And it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. And, and I think, you know, we all end up in the same space and or the same place at the end of the day. And it's it's not a you know, it's it's not a great ending for any of us. So while you're here, do exactly what you want and put your heart in. Brian, when we've pinpointed our end goal, in your case, we're, we're referencing your career there, but, you know, if your end goal in your house is, is to get the kitchen done or the bathroom done, we've, when we've nailed that down, there can be some trepidation, almost paralyzation with fear because it's something we've maybe never done before. Yeah. So how do we get the mm-hmm. ball rolling? What should be the first step when we want to tackle a major home project? Well, I mean, here's the great thing. You know, we're not we're not you know, curing cancer, we're not launching rockets. I mean, and, and those things you can, you can learn to do as well. But, you know, home renovations and building, you know, people have to learn how to learn. And a lot of things, you know, in the early days on television, I, I hadn't necessarily done. And what I would do is read every book. I would watch every video. I would ask every question of every contractor and person I know. And you have to make a decision when you're working on your own home. Do you enjoy doing it? Because if you don't, you're not going to follow through and you're not going to put the effort in. You know, if you really enjoy doing it, learn how to do it. You're going to take a little extra time. You're going to spend a little extra money, you know, but really dive into it and and learn how to do it. Ask all those questions, read all those books, put some common sense in there and and pull out what you need to do. Um, You know, anyone can learn how to do this stuff. It's just it's trial and error. It's practice. uh, And and you have to love doing it. And and you have to realize it's going to take longer and cost more than you expect. (laughs) Always, right? Do you think YouTube is a reliable place to turn? Is that a good resource for most people, would you say? I mean, it's not bad. Any of the social media, the the television shows, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all of that is edited and curated. And you have a lot of different opinions. And the truth is there's a thousand ways you know, there, there may be 10 or 15 ways to do something properly, but there's thousands of ways to screw it up. And you'll see all of that, uh, you know, on YouTube and, and social media and what have you. The key is finding the method and, and finding the way to do things that make sense to you and, and that will get the job done properly at the end of the day. There isn't just one way to do things. And you have to remember everyone that's read these books, made these videos, 
they had to learn at some point, mm. and they got to a point where they felt that they were, you know, competent and in competent enough to share content and teach other people. Um, you can be one of those people. You know, absorb all of that content and just put mm. some common sense into it. Very cool. We appreciate your time, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, looking forward to to get up there shortly. Fantastic. Wait to see you. That is uh, Brian Baumler, HGTV host of Island of Brian, Brian Incorporated. Leave it to Brian and Renovation Resort. There's no show that that guy does not host.